Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Hello and welcome to TKO and Joe together with 32 Red. We're a podcast and YouTube show with you every Thursday. We are in Manchester this week and I'm very pleased to say we're joined by the WBA Super, the WBC Diamond and the Ring Magazine uh, Super Middleweight World Champion. Callum Smith, welcome to TKO. Been meaning to get you on for a while. You're now five, is it five weeks out from five weeks? Yeah, come to five weeks, yeah. Um, well, I was just checking yeah, the sure dates to 13th today. And I didn't know if it's five or six. And you're six weeks out, that means. Yeah. Um, this is the part of camp, I guess, starts to get tough. Yeah. Kind of peak sparring and stuff. You and with Ammo Williams this week. How's everything going? Yeah, it's going well. To be honest with you, I'm enjoying it. I thought I was fighting September, so I've been in the gym quite a while, like ticking over, which I feel has helped me getting into camp because normally the first few weeks are tough and you're struggling, you feel like you're behind, whereas I'm, I'm feeling good and start to spar and as you said, the start of the week and everything's coming to, coming to plan. Obviously remember the Southport this time so things are a little bit different but the technical side I feel I'm getting getting pretty good. The first defence at home in front of the Liverpool yeah. crowd, your second defence overall, of course beating Hassan and Dam in New York. I bet you remember that first defence. Because you fight a lot in your, in your home city when you're building your audience, you're selling tickets. But then to come back as champion, you did it against Chris Avalos after the Keiko Martinez win yeah. um, in Belfast. What's that feeling like? I think it'll be a special night for you. Um, it's, it seems like you've been out of the ring a long time. Obviously, it was the last time was the Joshua and, and Reeves. Yeah. And I, I remember that performance. I was over doing a bit of work for 5'11". Tommy Coyle was on the undercard. Mm. But in my opinion, you, you've beat better fighters. And I remember saying this. Um, on five live at the time, I I see that as if not your best performance, one of yeah. your best performances. Just yeah. how how you went about why you did it, yeah. A good fighter. It was kind of overshadowed then by the, the yeah. Joshua loss yeah. a bit, but it's great to have you back. But it seems like you've been out for for a pretty long time. Yeah, it's it's weird. I get a lot of sticks saying oh, he's the most inactive fighter and stuff. And some of it was obviously I had a little girl at the start of the year, so I chose to have a little bit of time out, but then. Obviously, at the level I'm at, it's not as easy sorting fights and getting no respectable opponents and the damn fight come. And then the plan was to do September, December and get two in towards the end of the year. And again, it was just a nightmare getting an opponent for mm. September and it was getting closer and closer and closer to the date to the point where you can't announce a fight with four weeks' notice and expect it to sell. So it was, OK, we'll scrap that. We'll just do the one in the November. And like I said, I've been in the gym a while. I haven't been injured, so it's not like I go missing and I go party. And I've always been waiting for the date. It was just getting the the right date and the right opponent. And then obviously the man was called, so I've got to take care of that. But 2020, I say it same as the set the last one. I want to be busy. I want to be active, and I want to be in meaningful fights. The, the other thing is, I think it's a little bit of a myth when people say you've been out of the ring a long time because that super series. I was looking back over it because there was talk about it. People saying, "Oh, he hasn't been here." And uh, actually, you were in camp. I was thinking at the at the least something like thirty eight out of fifty two weeks yeah. the whole of the super series because okay you you box but then yeah. you have maybe two or three weeks a little bit of downtime yeah. and then you're back in the gym and at your size at super middleweight you can't afford to be going out and partying and eating no. what you want and, and I, I do feel actually that that people have said you had loads of time out I'm not I'm not actually convinced I agree yeah. with that because that, that what was tough about the the World Series was I beat I won the semi final and I basically. The decision was given, then I done it head to head with George Groves, so I kind of switched on to George Groves in February. I didn't box him until September, yeah. I knew I was fighting him, mm. but it was just getting put back and put back. But mentally, it's hard to switch off knowing you're fighting George Groves for a world title. So I just felt like for nine months, it was just Groves, 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 Groves. It was mm. mentally demanding as well as physically, kind of thing. Obviously, I had a few weeks off here and there when it was getting postponed, but the whole tournament as a whole was met more mentally demanding than physically. Mm. You fought on 
Carl's undercard as well. I've not wasn't the second Kiko fight, it was the first Kiko fight. Yeah, he just Argentina. told me this, I didn't even remember. Yeah, it's one clicked. of the best atmospheres I've been at. Yeah. Yeah. It was good to stay for the main event and it was it was a good fight to be fair, it was a good win. The first Kiko fight? First one, yeah, been I, one yeah. I remember and I remember there was an incident happened. Yeah, little pull. Yeah, the cameraman. They had a little push at the way in. So all the cameras ran to get it. And the camera clipped my little nephew on the head. I think he was only about four. It's cut on and stuff, Yeah, there was all blood coming off it. So it was a bit of come up, Paul. I remember it. I remember it. I remember saying to... On, uh, sitting at ringside in the interview yeah. after, I hope Paul Smith's kid's yeah. all right. Because I remember it happening and I felt bad. But it was like the cameraman... He knew he'd just, done it. Yeah. He just continued yeah, to he do just what he was doing. Yeah, I'm filming and that's really? what Paul was like. And he didn't even turn around to acknowledge it kind of thing. So it was a bit of... Yeah, no, it was a good, it was a good fight. It was a good, good experience. And of the four of, of the brothers, I feel like, I mean, obviously this this would be down to you. But I feel like Paul's probably the most hot headed out of the four of you. Is that fair? No, Liam, Liam, hundred percent. Yeah, mentioned this to me yesterday, and I says I, I would say Liam. Liam is, yeah. yeah, Liam, Liam, most argumentative. And Liam and Paul, Paul might be second. Liam and Paul clash a lot of the times over stuff like that. Do they still clash? Opinion. Yeah, not serious, but they always just if got an opinion and they're both right no matter what kind of thing. So but six, Liam's the most hot-head, 100%. Is he? Okay. Yeah. So six of you grew up in the household, yeah. four brothers, two sisters. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, t- tell me about these days growing up. So which, what's the order of, uh, of Paul, ages? Paul, Stephen, Liam, me, and then the two girls. Chloe, okay, yeah. so you're the youngest of the boys and the yeah. older than the girls. So yeah. talk to me about the, the household dynamic with eight of you. Yeah, it was good, busy, and I say to me, Mrs. now, I love being in a big family. I couldn't think of anything different. I couldn't imagine being an only child or having just one or two siblings and... I wouldn't mind if she gave me six, but I think she'd probably give me one more. So, yeah. but it's just, it's, I've, I've always known it, a busy house. Even now you go to my mum's and there's always someone in the house. It's always busy and that's always what I've been, been brought up around. And you think being in that environment, I'd be quite outgoing and I'm not I'm quite quiet, but yeah. it's just around my family, I'm comfortable and we are a close-knit family. Yeah. Do you, I guess you have to be quite self-sufficient as well from a pretty young age, don't you? Yeah, definitely, you know. One of six, I was hardly spoiled as a kid, do you know what I mean? We grew up on you know, your normal working class council estate, but I had a very, very good childhood and I said I wouldn't change it for the world and we're still as close now as we was growing up. OK. Talk to me a little bit about your your brothers because obviously Paul is, is now retired, mm. the other three of you are active. Yeah. A lot of the guys, when pushed, they always say you're the most talented of the four. Uh, where do you see yourself fitting into the pack? Um, I don't know, it's hard, because I think at the start they used to say, oh yeah, Callum's the best, when I probably weren't, he probably just felt sorry for myself, the youngest, and <laughs> probably just had to big me up a little bit, because they were always winning stuff and I was still coming through, but I think we're all good in different ways, and I've gone through my whole life looking up to my three brothers, who they were, I put them on a massive pedestal and I've always wanted to be like them, so it's hard for me to sit and say, oh yeah, I'm the, mo- the best of the four of us, because I still don't believe I am, so... I learn a lot off the three of them, and I think I've got thanked them a lot for the position I'm in now. I've learned off all of them come through my career. And all different types of fighters too. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're all very similar. Like we've got similar things, but we're all so different as well. But just physically, you're all big. Yeah, as well, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you seen just me and Stephen, you wouldn't think we were brothers. But you see the four of us, we kind of connect each other. But people used to always ask me to feel pressure being the youngest of the four, and I've always felt the opposite. I've always felt like I've been. I went to I think post debut two thousand and three and. I've been around professional boxing since then. I think I was only 13 at the time. So I've always felt I've got like an old head on young shoulders because of that. This year we've seen Anthony Joshua and Luke Campbell in high-profile losses. I think arguably you're our most successful and our strongest world champion. I would say mm-hmm. most people would agree with that. I would, yeah. 
Uh, maybe if you had a world title, you wouldn't, but no. we'll get one. We'll get one next year. Um, but you you were due to go to the the Olympics in 2012, yeah. and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I certainly feel you were kind of shafted out of that. Mm-hmm. Just talk to me about what what happened in the build up to that, because of course 2012 was such a huge launch pad for for certainly four or five yeah. fighters from from the UK, and you really were denied your opportunity at the the qualifiers. Yeah, yeah, it was it was. No, I got I got on a GB team and Everton. You're probably not the same being on the Isle. Everton's like four year cycles to the Olympics. No matter what what year you're at, it's always build up to the next Olympics. And I was on there. I think it was three years before London. And every training session, every tournament you went to was London, London, London. I think it was a bit more made a fuss up because it was a home Olympics as well. And to have not brainwashed, but have it drilled in London, 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 and then to get it took away at the last minute. And then I had to watch everyone else go. And it was more, I'd always envisioned going to the Olympics, becoming an Olympian, turning pro and getting that little bit, bit of a springboard, a little bit of an early push. And I think we've seen now it doesn't guarantee your success in the pros. You've still got to get on and do it, but it does help at the start. And then mm. all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do now? Do I go pro, but kind of go under the radar kind of thing? And at the time it was everything. It was like my old career. It just smashed into pieces. Whereas looking back now, it probably wasn't as vital as I thought it was even though if I could go back in time I still wish I was an Olympian it's an, it's an unbelievable achievement and mm. one that I feel I should have been there you know, I had to watch the lad who beat me go to the Olympics and it went the worst decision in the world but I definitely feel I won the fight it was a bad decision definitely. yeah it was a bad decision because it was the Azerbaijani that yeah. you, you were given the decision against in the, the semi-finals that mm. would have secured your place yeah. we, we will come on to because we were talking early funny enough about what happened to Mick Conlon and some of the stuff at the Rio Olympics that yeah. has been reported but at the time were you aware he was an Azerbaijani fighter were you aware of the politics and the financial corruption that was going on behind the scenes was there any talk about it at all amongst the team no to be honest with you Dan, no, I've had bad decisions before and there's been Million since me, and yeah. you're just one of many, and you kind of just get on with it. But you never think, you never go into the ring thinking they're going to shaft me. You'd always mm. believe if I win the fight, they'll give me it. And especially at that level, you think they won't take this away from me. And I think it was the second round, they had a big second round. I sat down, I was level going into it, and then I heard like weird, like cause the scores come up, and I heard like a weird, like cheer. And I thought, was that for me or him? And I was down going into the last round, and I remember just thinking, wow, I'd, like, I'd give everything that round, thinking I've got a lead and I can just get on my bike. And I was down, and I think it was then I knew. So even when the bell went, I kind of knew I'd lost, mm. if that makes sense. But it's one of them, like I said, there's been more bad decisions since me. It was just the, the time it happened to me was so vital in my career, yeah. and it was the difference between going to the Olympics and not going to the Olympics, which was hard. And there was still a chance for me to qualify the next day because the third place yeah, they kept you waiting, I'd rather yeah. have had a box off with the other losing semis mm. and it weren't and then the two people got in and it was the take against the thing going it was like I've watched better sparring sessions they were just like touching each other and that they were, the context of this of course was for, for, for those people that don't know is that there was a payment made from an Azerbaijani firm to Aiba of $10 million that four and a half of which was unaccounted for so PricewaterhouseCooper did an, uh, an independent investigation mm. almost half the money went missing and the, the correlation between that and Azerbaijan, I think they won 11 medals at the, the yeah. subsequent three championships, including five golds. And when you compare that to the previous 37 years, they've won four medals in total and no golds. Yeah. So we were talking on the phone earlier about this this article in the Irish Times about a year or so ago, Joe Hennigan, who's part of the Irish, he was the Irish team manager for the Rio Olympics. He was given in, information by uh, Zao Antia, who I believe you know 
Zara, yeah. He's, he's the Irish head coach, yeah. Right. And, and he, for, for whatever means, had a conversation with a Russian coach who had said that the medals were all fixed and that they knew the outcome of, of Mick Conlon's tournament. And obviously, imagine having that information when you're in the middle of an Olympic Games. You, you of course, can't pull your fighter out because then he's guaranteed to not get yeah. a medal. But at the same time, you, you're going into something that you have no clue whether it's fixed or not. You're hearing rumours, you're hearing speculation. Yeah. And then something happens, as it did with Mick and, and Vladimir yeah. Nikitin, and I mean, it causes it causes waves and it causes talk. But ultimately, as we'll come on to in just a moment with a GB fighter at the women's worlds uh, last week, no change is actually made. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like I don't think anything's ever going to be done about them because you give it two weeks and it's completely forgot about. You're yeah. into a new tournament, new multinations, and there's probably another robbery. And hmm. I think that's why nothing's ever going to change because they just get forgot about. And we talk about Karis Artingstall, who was boxing in the semi-final of uh, the Worlds last yeah. week, and I've sent the fight to you guys to have a look at. Yeah. The Russian was already through to the final. Karis had boxed her that three or four months ago, beat her 5 0 with two standing counts. They knew full well that were she to make it through to the final, mm. there would have only been one outcome, and that would have been a gold for Great Britain, barring you know the things that can happen in boxing. Yeah. But she looked a very strong favourite for that. Yeah. Talk me through what you saw of her, of her semi-final. I watched it last night, obviously you sent me it through, and... I thought she boxed well the first time I've seen her. She knows a good southpaw, and I thought she just con- kind of controlled the fight just at distance and didn't really let the little girl get, get in range and stuff. And I thought she won it comfortable, to be honest with you. And I think the reactions of the two of them at the decision at the end kind of showed mm. who the winner was in the fight. Even the reactions from the corners, like, Karis looked, her corner, was it Lee Pullen? Yeah, think, Lee Pullen, was, yeah. Was the head, the head trainer yeah, yeah. in her corner, and, and they just looked happy as if she'd won the fight. Yeah. Um, I, I watched the fight again because you, you sent me it and she won the first round well. She won the second round even more convincingly in the first round. I kind of skipped through the third and, and it was around the bits that I skipped through she still won as well. But you look at the reactions at the end and you, and you know enough yeah. about it and it's just like, it's hard to see. It, you know, you don't like to see it and there's people, they're, they're messing with people's emotions and everything mm-hmm. here. It's not just about the result of a fight and you go away and you forget about it. You don't. People are putting a lot of effort into winning big medals and representing their country. And it just, honestly, amateur boxing, and it has for a long, long time, but it just doesn't seem to be getting any any better. It's uh, yeah. it's ridiculous. Because, of course, you, you did actually get the, the contract with Matchroom out of, after 2012, yeah. where you didn't have that Olympic pedigree as such. Yeah. But I guess the, the ramifications for you at the time financially would have been significant because you wouldn't have a medal or, or Olympic exposure to bargain with. At yeah, that. like I could probably guarantee you that the Olympians who turned over a few months after me got paid more for the debut than I did. And mm. even just like publicity and sponsorship and stuff, they probably got more than what I got. Like I said at the time, I don't think that'll define my career. I still believe I get to where I want to be. And thankfully I have so far. And obviously it's flipped, but... At the time, it'll just be a nice start to your pro career where money isn't the best when you're starting off, and especially if you want to do it full-time and you're doing four rounds. If you're an Olympian, it's definitely yeah. a lot easier. Yeah. I suppose the the flip side of the coin is that you're able to build under the radar without the spotlight because the Olympians have, it seems like, an infinite yeah. amount of pressure on them compared to everybody else. Everyone's looking at Josh Kelly and Boatsy and um, Akoli, and if they put a foot wrong, people are yeah. very quick to jump on them. So you can build in a way, sort of in a quiet way. But I feel like your career got to a point where 
people wanted to see you let off the leash. You proved yourself at British level. You, you won so comfortably against Rocky Fielding yeah. that I think people were then calling out for you to to make this step up. And the Super Series came at the sort of perfect point, it feels like, in your career. Is that how it felt to you? Yeah, it did, because it kind of took me away from a terrible negotiation thing with the WBC. With the, I was mandatory to fight Anthony Drell for the vacant belt, and they won the pace bids, and then... They just it was like they didn't want to put the fight on. They yeah. was getting told May, then oh no, it's going to be June, then it's going to be September. And I remember I signed the contract for LA September the 9th. So I thought, happy days, it's done. I started training, and then they said, oh no, it's not going to be that date. It's going to be later on in Flint, Michigan. I was like, I've signed the contract for LA. So then there was all that. And then at the same time, the World Series boxing was getting offered to me, but it sounded too good to be true, to be honest with you. Yeah, they were just telling me all these top fighters going to be world titles in it and then the money was really good for what mm. other fighters were in at that time and I just thought there's got to be some form of catch and then the longer the negotiations went on with Darrell I just thought let's do it let's just scrap them so I gave up a world title shot to go into a tournament where I knew Groves was C1 and I was going to be C2 so I knew I'd have to win two fights to guarantee me a world title shot but I was confident in my own ability I knew I was good enough to do it it was the longer way of doing it but it worked out best for me yeah, it's actually a good point about the Super Series. It's not been flawless. There have been a few things with financial payments being late and stuff, but actually, given the ambition of, of the setup itself, it's yeah. been remarkably good, isn't no, it? No, it has been. It's a, it's a great format, and it's putting... They're trying their best to get the top guys. I think it was a great success when mm. Colin won his. I think the the the, the bantamweight won at the minute with Anui and Denner mm. is going to be a, mm. a special final. Taylor and Progre again. The cruiserweights at the same time yeah. as you was it was quality. So there has been a few complaints from fighters and different people, but in terms of producing the fights so far so good, it's been a really exciting format for me. And I hope there's been rumours that maybe this is going to be the last year. It may not continue. I'm not sure, but I hope that it keeps continuing. And and we are seeing most of the best in each division fighting each other. Mm. hasn't happened for, for a long time has it and they talked about you know the fact that boxing lacks a centralised governing body that sometimes the way forward might be to put these kind of semi-permanent tournaments on so that promoters can invest in a tournament rather mm. than feeling like they've got to deal directly with each other yeah. and if the money's right that's always the fundamental thing with a big fight isn't it yeah of course um, and, that, and that's you know it, it's again it's the old money talks in this game is a wee bit of a cliche what's well, a big bit of a cliche but it, it does and, and people have to if you're going to fight someone you can you can listen to boxers all day I'll fight him for free I'll do this for free they, they, they won't it just doesn't happen it's a tough sport where you deserve to be well paid especially if you're fighting the top contenders and the, and the super series at the minute seems to be producing that and producing the money that's making people come to the table and sit down and, and negotiate whereas fights Without the Super Series, I don't know, the, the, the Groves and Collins mm. from the fight may never have happened, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you were talking yeah, about the Durrell fight that yeah. was hard to get made. Yeah. And, and then you come out the, out the other side of the Super Series and you're, you're the number one yeah. in the division. OK, we'll be back with Callum Smith in just a few moments' time. Right now, though, here's John Amici with something new from Joe. My day job is helping businesses thrive through disruption. This show is not about business. It's about people who go from nothing, a seed of an idea, something that everybody thinks is completely impossible, and build it into this massive, massive, massive business. There are a thousand different ways to be a huge success. One of the most interesting things that we're learning is that how people are failing is almost as important as how they succeed. In fact, it's 
integral. It's business. Pioneers is having really honest conversations with people, talking about their business, their objectives, their purpose, whether they're just out to make a ton of money and then quit, or whether they really want to change the world. Pioneers on Joe. Listen to it. Download it. Watch it. I had nothing profound to say. We were talking to Big Stephen Ward last week because he's in the MTK Golden Contract to light yeah. heavyweight and um, he won't know who his opponent is until fight week. Now, there yeah. are no seeds, so it's kind of if you get picked out of the draw, you yeah. get to choose. If you don't, you might get chosen. You, of course, were, I think, one of the, the seeds you got yeah. to choose. two, yeah. Yeah, two. So you picked uh, Scoglin first, yeah. right? So did you speak to Joe before that saying, look, who are we going to go for if we get the option? A little bit, but it was just in gen day-to-day life and the... I hate making decisions. I was yeah. reassuring off people, and I was following my brothers, and like my brothers are like my biggest fans. Like they rate me more than probably anyone. And I was saying you should have picked out the four, and you say you'll beat all four. Just pick whoever you want. I was thinking just let let me know someone. And then Joe was studying and watching them, and then it was more I needed to have kind of two picks because I didn't I had no idea who Gross was going to mm. pick. So it was literally was just Gross picked Jamie Cox, and then I went up and the fight. I, Looking back now, I think Skogland was probably the best out of four non-seeds. But I had three fights before the tournament when I was waiting for a world title shot. And I'd got into a, a habit of just basically walking after people, trying to knock them out and loading mm. up. And I feel I'd lost my boxing ability and I was just getting frustrated when I was going into round five and six, thinking, how oh, haven't I got rid of him yet? And I just felt the Skogland one was tall. I did a good job and I thought, if there's anyone to get me back boxing and thinking before I go into range, it'll be him. So it wasn't I picked him thinking it was easy fights. I knew it was a tough one, but I knew it would benefit me in the long run and I picked him and it ends up a tougher fight than I expected, yeah. but I still think it was the right move for me. Yeah, and then of course you had the Jürgen Bremer pull out after that and yeah. Nicky Holskin kind of stepped in. How many days before the fight was that? It was the Monday. I was on. I was about to walk on a plane to Germany and I think I was about to speak, uh, switch the phones off. Sean, he was outside there, then got a phone call. Big said Bremer was out. So then... I had to sit on the plane thinking, you know, fucking want to fight. Yeah. And it was like, and then for the next few days, it was they were throwing all different names in. And then I think he was on the undercard anyway, so they put him in. And I remember watching him thinking, he's terrible. And then Joe was telling me to keep watching him, saying, Joe, I can't, because the more I watch him, the more I'm going to be complacent kind of thing. And to be fair to him, he was tough. He took a few good shots and mm-hmm. you know, he was physically strong himself. But I enjoyed that fight the least out of any fight I've ever wanted because the minute I was in there, I just wanted the bell to go and finish it, so I was in the final fighting Groves. It was more, I had so much to lose and not really much to gain. People yeah. were saying, oh, his kickboxer would be gone in two rounds, and he was tough. I, no, I did it to him early on, and he kind of bounced off him, and I just didn't want to be known as the fella who just blew his world title shot by losing to a kickboxer, and it was yeah, just so much pressure on that fight than any other fight I've ever had in my life, and when the girls walking around with the numbers, I was just thinking, just put number 12 up and we can get this done with now <laughs> really, kind of yeah. thing, and... So it wasn't the best performance, but I always knew I'd deliver when it mattered. I feel like late standbys can be the biggest banana skins in in boxing. You know, with yeah. so with Joshua and and Takam, that was a late replacement. Mm-hmm. He had to box very cautiously against him, and then of course Ruiz, the ultimate example of that in recent times. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, quite a testament to someone like Callum who can make that adjustment because you boxed in a very safe and controlled manner. There was no, yeah, there was, was low it risk was strategy. Just- I said, like, obviously I was getting texts in the fight week for tickets for me and Groves, because Groves had beat Eubank the week before. I was thinking, wow, like, everyone else is looking past them, I was thinking, imagine I slip up, like, it should be the worst case scenario in the world, I'd be a 60-year-old man thinking, wow, you had the chance to go and fight George Groves and in, like, whatever, Mm. and you slipped up by losing to a kickboxer, so it was just all pressure on me, so I just remember just thinking, just box, 
nothing silly, no injuries, no cuts, and win, and then I'll go and do an amateur kind of thing, whereas that performance wouldn't be gross, but I knew it was enough to beat him. Out of order to be sending text messages, looking gross. Yeah, I was getting loads of messages, and I was saying, hey, don't forget, keep my tickets for you and gross, and I was looking at them on Instagram, and I felt like I was doing my Cheers, lads, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, wow, like, everyone was just assuming it was a one-round blow kind of thing, and it just, I'd say the pressure was just more in that fight than any of the other fights. The amateur background that you've had has probably probably suited you well in Mm. that that situation, because... You know, it does happen. We've seen it happen where late standbys come in, Reese as well, mm. um, with Joshua. What, what, was it, what was it, five weeks? Something, yes. Six weeks? Yeah, yeah, something like um, that. Late enough, but yours was literally... The Monday, yeah. I'd yeah. done everything. I'd done my whole... <laughs> a handful of I'd done sparring partners over from Europe, Southport. I'd done my whole camp, and then, took me wrong, it's better to go from an autox than a Southport oh, standing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not yeah, as yeah. tough, but it was just... Tactically, I didn't know much about him. I put a video of him, and it was in like a... A boxing gym, it was like a show in a boxing gym, and I was doing really footage I could get of them. So it was just like the amateurs where you just get in and see how it goes. And like I say, I got the win, I got the job done, and moved on. But it was safety first kind of performance. I suppose the one benefit of the tournament is having those paid standbys and having people that they know are on the books, even if they're on the undercard, that they can move up even yeah. at the last minute. And that's a sensible contingency. It's one of the things that dragged the Super Six out a little bit longer than yeah. it probably should have. And I think that's a good, obviously, a lesson learned. By, by Callis Howland and the guys put it together but again even in your situation Tyler McCreary is not a name that many people will know yeah. he's got 16-0 people are going to you know underestimate him yeah. and just assume that, that you've got to go and win but you're the one that has to yeah, go Yeah, that's a different sort of pressure when you're just expected to, to blow someone away as well and um, you know he's had long enough I think he was meant to fight someone else and they pulled him off the bill so he's been training so it's not as if he's just had six weeks notice and mm. he's starting to uh, get ready for a fight. So he, he'll be in good shape, but he's a tall, kind of slick American. Um, not a bad fighter at all, but because he's not really known, people are expecting you just to go in and blow, blow him away. And that's that's when you have to be able to, you know, me, myself, I have to be mentally strong enough not to pay too much attention to that. And if it's going, you know, if it's six, seven, eight rounds and people are starting to make noises around mm. ringside saying why is he not getting rid yeah. of him yet I just need to keep focused and, yeah. and make sure I get the job done that's what I've learned to do recently over like the last couple of years as I said before like I boxed Luke Blackledge mm. and it was getting like round like, I'd drop him and then the bell would go and then it'd start again the next round and then I'd drop him again and the bell would go and then it was round seven, eight, nine. and I remember just thinking I'm going to get slated for this mm. and everyone's bored and mentally it just beat me up myself and then actually knocked him out with a very good shot but I was just walking the corner and said to Joe, it was about seven rounds too late. It's just the pressure of everyone else got to me, whereas now I just think if I win, I win. As long as I'm boxing well and I've got it in my own head, then I don't care what anyone else thinks. But coming through, I felt that pressure massively as everyone just assumed I'd win early. And when I didn't, I started to get frustrated with myself. It, 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 I, it was a thing. I fought um, a guy called Chris Hughes um, for a Commonwealth title in your call. I was beating him up pretty good. I ended up knocking him out. It was a good knockout in the eighth round or something. But I remember being criticised by Jim Watt, ringside, saying, you know, he needs to needs to get rid of him here. And But I was really, like, breaking him down. And I remember th- listening to what he said, and it kind of affected how he fought after mm. that. And it shouldn't have. I should have just continued to fight how I liked the fight and make sure I get the win. The win's almost the, the most important thing. But I was trying to be a bit more exciting in my fights because... Jim Watt give me stick on Sky. Was that? Could you hear him whilst you were fighting? No, oh, no. This but was after this was after. Right. Um, but that's it's really 
it's a little bit childish of me, like well, no, but changing, you to... changing how I fight, yeah, because of Jim Watts. You know, in one man. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. But then at the same time, you also have to listen to your public. I mean, I don't know. Did you watch Bivol at the weekend? Yeah. He's somebody that is is very, very good at what he does. He's obviously very, very difficult to beat. But with that kind of one-paced nature, doesn't really go through the gears. It, I, I kind of feel like every fight I've ever watched of his, once you've seen one round, you've kind of yeah. seen all of them. Yeah. Unless he lands that very crisp shot and takes somebody out, which he has got the capability of doing. Yeah. But it's quite a risk-averse style. It's almost like he boxes like you did against Nicky Holskin, but yeah. against everybody. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, you can hang on to your belts that way, but at some point, you you have to wonder whether he's going to drift into that like who-needs-him-club because yeah. he doesn't do huge tickets. Mm. He's a very difficult guy to beat, but also people are going to be looking going, well, why would I take him on when there are more exciting yeah. fighters who sell more tickets? You do have to listen to your public, I suppose. Yeah, you do, just not your mod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the, the benefit, of course... You knew that the Groves fight was there, yeah. provided you got the win. But in the real world, if you have a, a performance that people perceive as being a bit flat or they see weaknesses, yeah. that does open those doors against other fighters, as, as you well know. Yeah. If you have those fights and people see that and they go, actually, do you know what? I fancy, I fancy Frampton or I fancy Smith. I, I think it happened. Prime example. We've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. Is when I got dropped in El Paso by uh, Alejandro Gonzalez. Got dropped twice, didn't you? Got dropped twice in the first round. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> And the same night, Scott Quigg fought Kiko Martinez and blew him away. Yeah. And I, I fought Kiko twice. I knocked him out once. The second time, I beat him on points. But I, I beat him, I think, the, the second fight was more convincing than the first knockout because up until I knocked him out, it was pretty, fight, it was yeah. pretty close. Yeah. Um, but me and Quigg have been talking for a long time about fighting and the fight just never looked like it was going to happen. And then I think that they seen um, Scott and Joe and maybe Eddie, they seen you know, me getting dropped put over twice by this big skinny kid who no one's ever heard of let's take the fight now and it was a blessing in disguise mm. for me because the fight happened I won the fight and then Leo Santa Cruz fight I think even came off the back of that because I was mandatory for him when I was a super bantamweight for the WBC title and that fight never happened and I think them two big fights the two biggest wins of my career came off the back oh, of me being, being put down. Yeah. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? And I suppose once you get to the top of your career, it then becomes a totally different ball game. It's negotiating your way into the biggest fights and securing the biggest paydays because I always see that as like, it's backdated money for all the years that you probably <laughs> boxed in the amateurs unpaid and you, you fought for low purses in the early stages of your career. Those big money purses are what make it all worth it. And you are, you've been in that situation and you're currently at the top of your game. You are now just, you've just arrived at the yeah. peak really. And the options for you seem almost endless, but at the same time, it's very difficult getting yeah. getting the negotiations over the line for some of these. And I know you get names thrown at you all the time. The, the lay of the land at the moment, you've got Benavidez, Caleb Plant, Billy Joe, and yourself. Yourself and Billy Joe with Matrim, Benavidez and Plant kind of on the, the PBC side of things with Fox. Yeah. And the two don't really work together. Yeah. So it means, in terms of the super middleweights, your options really at the moment are limited, limited to Billy Joe yeah. Saunders. But you're looking at mega fights at this stage, right? Yeah. So talk to me. Yeah, there's obviously there's three other champions in my weight division. There's four belts and we're all unbeaten. Mm. So I think that's quite rare and it should be exciting. Should we should we all fight? You obviously mentioned why why some of them might happen, but I'd jump at any of them fights. I want unification fights. I've ticked the box of being a world champion. I'll, no one can take that away from me. Now it's to see what more I can achieve and... I remember getting to the top and thinking the world title was the pinnacle and when I got it I thought, nah, I've got more, there's more I can do. And that's what I'm in boxing for and 
there's a mega fight out there, say Golovkin can hold their names that I jump at the drop of an hat. There's a, I'm in a, a good division with a lot of big fights. It's mm. just, I wish it was a little bit more simple to make them all. It's, I feel now it's harder to make fights than it was when I was coming through. And you think when you get to world title, you'd have them all queuing up to fight you. And as I found out trying to fight in September, it's not as straightforward as people would like to think. And that's the downside of boxing. People don't really see. You mm. people saying, when are you going to fight him? Why don't you fight him? Mm. And I don't think many boxers are scared of facing each other. It's just the team and all the other stuff that gets involved with it, which kind of stalls or stops fights happening. We spoke about this beforehand. I think, obviously, anyone in the round in weight divisions, the Canelo fight is the one you want because it's humongous money. <laughs> yeah. um, and it brings a lot, lot of publicity and everything. But there was talk of you and Canelo at Anfield and stuff. I've, mm. I've seen that. But I... I don't know how you feel about this, but I just don't think that fight happens. And the reason being is I think they're a very shrewd team. Mm. They've got Kovalev at the right time. Yeah. Um, I think you're you're just all wrong for Canelo. Yeah. I'm not saying he's scared to fight me and all that, but I just think he's Canelo, he can fight whoever he wants. Yeah. I don't know why he can't pick six foot three he champion wouldn't. at the weight above. And I think if it if it was to happen it'd have to be massive demand for it like if I was to go and beat some of the other champions or probably wait until I look like I'm dead of the weight and about to move up and then he'll try and get me kind of then I think they are smart kind of thing he's a special fighter he's probably top three pound for pound I don't put myself top three pound for pound but I believe there's weight divisions for a reason yeah. I think he's a better middleweight I guess that's the other thing that we, we have to address is the size of you at super middleweight. It, it never ceases to amaze me. And I was saying to the guys before you come in, I said, wait till he walks through the door and then just <laughs> and then just bear in mind he boxes at 74 and a, and a bit kilos. There is going to come a point where you will have to move up. And I feel yeah. like once you do and you let your body expand, it, it will probably be impossible for you to go back down. So you have to get the work yeah, done at super middleweight. Yeah, that's what I've always said. I said, like, I'm not in that position where I can move up and come back down or yeah. swap and change weights. No, it... I'm not dead at the weight, but it, it, it's getting harder. I'm getting bigger and bigger, and I think once I move up, that's it. I'll, I'll stay at light heavy, and I just don't want to close the chapter on 168 just yet. I do feel there's more to achieve before moving up, but if the right offer got offered at 175, I, w I would move up, but I just think there's a little bit more I can achieve while I'm still doing the weight and still performing at it. Then yeah. fights at 168, like Benavidez and Plant, although they're not as, obviously not as big a name as Canelo yeah. or... Or Golovkin, they yeah. are quality fighters. Yeah, the two, they, they are the very good fighters. To be fair, and I had two rate the two of them. They both got belts, which you know I, I, I do want, and they are big fighters. Although they haven't got the profile, as you mm. said, like as your Canelo or your Globins, but it doesn't mean the the easier fights. They are two very good fighters. Yeah. Mm. There's the options yeah. all over for you. It's just it's negotiating that right path, as you say, for mm. for the right money. Yeah. It does feel like there's been a lot of chess positioning by the various promoters at super middleweight. I guess probably in anticipation of Canelo making the step up longer term at some point. You were approached by, I, I don't know which promoter, no, obviously it's completely up to you if you don't want to say, but you, you had a couple of offers like a couple of months ago? Yeah, I had a few offers, a few promotional offers and I say I've, I've always been happy with matching, he's done a good job with me, but it's, it's nice to get other people interested in you and I'll tell you the plans for you and tell you how much they rate you and stuff like that and I know they tell you what you want to hear, but it was nice and like I say, some of them had other fighters which would go fight for me and it kind of probably made Eddie sit up and say, well, I can do this for you and I didn't use it as that kind of thing but it, it worked out better for me and the plan Eddie's got for me is a good one and one of them happy and I say, like, boxing's a selfish sport. There's, 
I do get loyalty, but I've got a short career, I've got to do what's best for me. And Absolutely. at the minute, best for me is that match doing where I am now. And I say we get this fight out the way and hopefully push on into 2020, but I'll always do what's best for me in my career. And mm. it, I say it's nice to have options rather than feel like you, you've already got the one. What those um, contracts... Uh, with, with that contract with Matchroom, sorry, was that coming to an end? Uh, was that why you got the offers in? Or were... um, it's a bit of a tricky one because I'd never f- actually had a long-term contract with them. It's always just been, we'll do this fight, next fight, and then just you've been negotiate. Yeah, so yeah, and, yeah. and I'm at the position now where each fight kind of negotiable kind of thing, but right. now he's come and said there's a plan for this one, and then hopefully a big fight in May, and then push on from there. So... It was more just I needed to know what his plan was for me and what route. And you know, we had a good meeting and we sat down. And I say I've never fell out with them. I've always had a good relationship with them, and they've been very good for my career from from the debut till now. It was just you know, the offers come in. I looked at them, but I went with the one that was best for me. Because mm. um, obviously um, Benavidez got his belt back um, from <laughs> the rail. His mandatory Ilderim's failed uh, test, so he's <laughs> kind of freed up. I know Eddie's kind of lobbying for for that fight. Um, what would be your your ultimate preference if you could design the perfect fight at the perfect venue? Go. Uh, Anfield is the one yeah. I would want to do. Now I said I want to do New York, Madison Square Garden. I've done. I'd like to do Vegas, Chicago's done. I'd like to do Anfield. There, the three. Still So you'll get to have a win in Vegas. They're the three like venues I'd like to like to tick off yeah. than one of them so Anfield would be special and it would need a big opponent in the opposite corner I'm not going to sell thousands and thousands against the no one so it's hard to pick one obviously I'll pick one Canelo be, the chance of it happening are very slim I think Golovkin's a great fight for me mm. I said it before his last fight even though he didn't look the best but he's a good fighter and he's someone I've been a massive fan of over the years I just think he, he is slightly getting over it and Again, he's a better middleweight. And if he was to move up, I do think I'd beat him. The three champions, they're all very, very good fighters. But I watched Benavidez beat Darrell and I think I beat him. So mm. if I think I beat him, like, give me the chance to do it and, and prove it. If I don't, then fair enough. But I believe I've got the beating of all the other three champions. So mm. why not go for it? No, I agree with you. Who would you like to see him fight? Um, well, I'd love to see the Canal fight because... I think he's he's the superstar of boxing, mm. the number one guy in world boxing at the minute. And I think, not just saying it because you're sitting here with Sammy, yeah. but I think I think you beat him. Mm. So and that's why I don't think the fight the fight happens. Mm. But I think the Glovkin fight could yeah. be made. And yeah, either he's a or massive name in Glovkin. Yeah. yeah, either they, they sell out yeah. Anfield twice yeah. over, like it would be insane. I would I would definitely be there. Yeah. So mm. yeah, one yeah. one of them too. Um, yeah, I, I, and I can see you can see the Golovkin fight. Well, yeah, I, I think if he doesn't get Canelo, yeah, he's left them with no options, so we'll have to look elsewhere. Which hopefully, I'm in the act for it. But I think a lot just depends on whether Canelo gives him the third fight or not. Mm. Um, yeah, you mentioned Madison Square Garden. It was a it was a memorable yeah. night for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, you made quick work of of Ndambuatsi was on the card. Katie Taylor in that absolutely yeah. unbelievable fight against Delphine Bassoon, and then. Joshua, where were you sitting for the for the final? To be honest with you, the first round, I was filling my forms with my drug test and it was on the screen. Oh, I remember the drug testers saying, oh, I think this will be over quicker than yours. <laughs> I'd love to go and see them after it. Yeah. I think everyone just thought it was going to be a, a quick blowout and then I ran out and I ran into the venue to see where my brothers was and as I went in, I seen the first knockdown. So I just stood and watched it. Oh, Louise go down? Yeah, I seen Louise go yeah. down and I couldn't find on my brothers and they were watching it 
in my changing room on the telly. So then I ran back in my changing room, sat with them and watched it on the t- telly, really enough. I was in the venue and watched it on the TV. But it was just... It wasn't the biggest upset in boxing, but it's probably the biggest one I've seen. I've, yeah. I've been there at, and it was just so many people ripped Ruiz off, even though I said beforehand, he can fight, but then when I see him at the public workout, he was too small, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought, mm. nah, you're tiny, he was shorter than me. I thought, as much as you are, better than what people give you credit for, I do think you are too small, but listen, he proved me wrong, he proved a lot of people wrong. Bizarre atmosphere after that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was strange. Yeah. A bit surreal, I remember. You're talking about him being smaller than you. I remember he got into a lift beside Stephen Ward, but he's probably an inch smaller than mm. you again. Um, and he was Stephen Moore looked a lot taller on him, yeah. and and that's the reason I I was saying to people the same. Ruiz can fight; he's a good fighter, but mm. just it, um, it looked comical almost the way yeah. in and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? It looked like a sketch show. Yeah. It didn't look. I think he was smart <laughs> with the name. Like he was happy to be there, approach yeah. going into, and I think Joshua did like think it was going to be, and he was asking for pictures with his belt and all mm. that. Whereas I think this time Josh's mentality might be a little bit different. But I also think Ruiz goes into the fight knowing he can beat him this time. So I do think it's. To go rematch. So talk to me about Saudi Arabia then. I, I went out there um, with the recce with the Saudlands a few months before, but um, obviously you've been there to mm. to fight. I wasn't there, yeah. but but talk to me about that whole the whole place, like the logistics. How was it as a as a setup to box? Um, the setup to box, the venue was good. It was just a bit of a how was that UV quig. Mm. The atmosphere was unbelievable. I feel me and Grove should have had something similar yeah, to yeah. British oh, World Title yeah. fight, and I thought it was it. There was an atmosphere. I thought it was going to be silent, like the international tournaments, but there was an atmosphere. But it was just the cheer when I landed, and then the same people would cheer when Groves landed. And it was so there was noise, but it wasn't passionate. It wasn't, and even the fight fight week builds up for that kind of fight should have a big, you no know, public workout. The public workout was in like a gym with like a few people there, and mm. it was just. But to be fair, that suited me at the time because I, although I understand you've got to do all that stuff. I don't enjoy any of it. I don't enjoy press conferences, public warehouse, they're just kind of in the way for me. So I enjoyed that side of it, but looking back, I do feel that fight deserved a better atmosphere. Hmm. I, that fight, do you feel, how do you feel about Groves? Uh, obviously, you won the fight pretty convincingly. Yeah. Was there an element of quit in him? Um, I don't know, because I don't, I don't think he quit, although he shook his head on the floor and didn't get up and yeah. got up after the thing. So if that's classed as quitting, I don't know. It, it, it's a hard one, because, like, obviously, a body shot, they're not nice kind of thing. Mm. I don't know. I think if I'd have put him down with a head shot and he shook his head, I'd have probably said he quit, but I think a body shot, you kind of give them a little bit of leeway, but he did wait for the 10 and then stood up kind of things. I don't know. I wouldn't want to go around saying he quit, but I think a, the body shot kind of knocked the fight out yeah. to him, to be fair. And I think he knew if he got up, well, in my mind, cause I didn't know the body shot to put him down. I thought he had just took a knee because yeah. of the head shots. And my thing was, you've got to get rid of him before the end of the round. You can't let him. Because you just think, if I let him back in this and he comes back and beats me, I'll kick myself. So I just yeah. remember thinking, as soon as he gets up, a foot to the floor and get rid of him. And then I seen him shake his head and I thought, he's not getting up. Is it, and it's only then yeah. I realised it was probably the body shot. That's why there's doubt about it, because he was on his knee and he should Yeah, he's he on, on his knee and I seen him I shake his head and that's when I said, well, he's not, get, he's not getting up. Because when I put him down, I didn't think... So when you drop people, you think, that's it, it's done. Whereas I, did, I thought he just took a knee to clear his head and then he was going to get up and then the plan was to go in and just throw everything I could at him. But yeah. it was only after i seen the replays and stuff, I realised it was the body shot. And I didn't throw the body shot to hurt him. It was more just to bring his arms down and then go back head hunting because the left you could start is that kind of thing. But I wouldn't... To answer your question, I wouldn't... 
I don't know, I was not nice calling someone a quitter, but I do think he could have got up. I think I would have finished him anyway, but I do think he probably could have got up. The shot that actually started it, the, the left hook, yeah. you you throw this kind of, it's really unusual. And I've, every time I've been in Gallagher's over the years, I've, yeah. it's the one shot I've always seen you working on with Joe. Yeah. And I've seen probably three or four times, you, you catch the right hand with the left and in the same motion, you throw the left hook. But it's, yeah. it's a funny one because I've always thought, how does that work? Because normally you would catch and the rotation of your body yeah. takes you through with the opposite hand. But this is, you catch and shoot with the, with the same yeah. hand, which over the top of a, of a strong right hand like George has got, that's yeah. a very, very difficult shot to land, but one that I know you've been setting up for, yeah. for a long time. It's weird I got asked, is it natural or is it practice? And it's both. Like sometimes I throw and I don't know if through it. It is just a reaction. Mm. But it's something I've always worked on. I know it's a good shot and I know it's hard to defend against. If you fight someone who's technically correct and you catch the left hook and throw your own, their right hand should be on the chin, so you're probably going to hit a glove. Whereas if they throw the right and you beat them, by the time they get it back, it's a little bit easy to do. And it's something I've always just found. Like a lot of people probably try and throw it and find it uncomfortable, whereas I find it very comfortable. There's other shots that other fighters can throw that I find yeah. a little bit awkward. But I never thought... Groves mentioned it in a few interviews and Shane McGuigan mentioned that he's got a good catch left duke so I didn't think any right dukes would come and they never for like four or five rounds and then he threw two on the run and I blocked the two of them and I remember just saying to myself you've let him hit you with two of them you've got to counter the next one right. and then he fainted and threw it and I think even if he didn't throw the right hand they probably just threw the left yeah, anyway, I just yeah. anticipated I knew it was coming because I thought he's starting to get a bit confident with it I threw it and landed but that was the first it was only in that round he started letting the right hook go. I think his t- he was showing a lot of straight to the body, a lot of straight ones there, but he wasn't throwing any hook ones. That was obviously the plan, wasn't it, to, to start to mix up the levels as the fight? Yeah, going. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think obviously, especially with the mentioning, I, I throw that shot well. You'd probably be silly to come out and throw a lot of the <laughs> yeah, right hook. Yeah. So, to be fair to him, he never threw any early, and I say he was throwing a lot of straight ones to the body, which are quite hard to defend against, but the minute he threw a few of them, I knew I've got to counter that. I can't let him keep getting away with it. Yeah. You had a bit of a tiff with Groves on Twitter, didn't you? Did I? Yeah, you did. I was going to say that, don't you like him? No, but it was just a bit of a a tiff over and often. Um, I felt like it was on call for. That's why I was digging him out a wee bit there. I was thinking you wanted to clarify for everyone watching, like, why are you being being such a dick? Well, I'm not being a dick. I don't think I'm being a dick. It was quite funny, I thought it was quite funny. But I just Um, wanted to let everyone know, you know, a bit of a tiff. I think he's blocked you now, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. If you want to know what he's tweeting, just let me know. Don't worry about it. I really uh, mate, a uh, real pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, I'll obviously see you in um, Fight Week in a few weeks' time, so yeah. good luck in the next uh, four or five weeks of camp. Before you go, though, we're going to do uh, our 32 seconds challenge with 32 Reds. You know the drill, I'm going to read you out a list of words. Say we'll Just say the first thing, you can short, short or, or long as you like. Um, okay, here we go. So this is the 32 second challenge. Hey? I'm nervous. Are you nervous? <laughs> Don't be nervous, mate, it's fine. Uh, this is the 32 second challenge with 32 Reds uh, with Callum Smith. Liverpool City. Home. Echo Arena. Home. Your favourite sibling. Ooh. Holly, little sister. Uh, London Olympics. <sighs> Nearly. Uh, Aiba. Shafted me. Uh, George Groves. Good fighter. Uh, Anfield. Quitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to love I'll get blocked as well now. Um, Anfield. Hopefully one day. Uh, fighter you'd most like to fight. Canelo. Best person you've sparred? Tough one. Most profile, probably Carl Froch. I've done a lot with him early on. Yeah. Uh, becoming world champion? 
just the ultimate dream. And finally, fatherhood. Special. Is it, yeah? yeah? It's good, yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Callum Smith, absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on TKO. Yeah, Great to see you, mate. Good luck on the 23rd of yeah. November. Thank you. Thank you at home for watching TKO, another episode done and dusted. As always, we'll see you again in seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe. Together with 32 Red.